The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Bindhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. We do reg defilements. About 80% of our opportunities have all been syndications. The other 20 have either been us or partners. Just a, us, us or just one of the partners where we just buy the opportunities ourselves. Uh, but we do do reg defilings. Typically, a 506C that does just offer to accredited investors. But sure. you know, we grew up in uh, New York, New Jersey, right? So we had a lot of friends and family that were our initial investors. And you know, if someone can make 150000 and not be deemed a credit, but still have the bandwidth all to understand how to invest. And so we did do some 506B opportunities. We still do from time to time. That's just open to our general network. Our, right. our a Rolodex of people who are already in our bandwidth. And and they're run like a fund, right? I mean, they're a corporation, people own shares in the company. Is that how you do it or are they? Similar. The fund model is more, it can be run in a couple mod- a couple parts, but the fund is that the, uh, investors would invest into a pool and that pool would be allocated to a number of assets. Through right. the syndication model, it's a single asset LLC that's set up for the project where those investors know the project they're investing into. And on that front there, no, they can make a choice on the actual asset themselves. But it is like that they will get shares or units, right, as part right. of ownership. So they will have equity ownership in the deal. They will not be a debt partner on the deal. And they're like limited partners. They're like special member right. unit holders. They don't vote. They don't get involved. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, I'm Jason Yurusi of Yurusi Holdings. We're a multifamily investment firm uh, down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, since uh, 2017, we've acquired over 2,000 units, about 180 million in real estate. And we're excited to be here on the show today to talk about why multifamily real estate is one of the best, best investment classes out there, continues to perform and outperform year in and year out. Okay, welcome to another episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. I'm Mitch Beinhacker, and we have another real estate guest today. It just turns out that we have three real estate guests on the show today. Episodes will be coming out in maybe a month, month and a half. And um, 
If you are listening on your favorite podcast directory, if you're able to, be sure and leave us a five-star review. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit that subscribe button and like button to allow us to keep bringing the valuable content, which is hopefully helpful to our listeners to learn how to grow your business, make better decisions, and um, invest your money, build your wealth. So Jason, thanks so much for coming here. Uh, it, you know, it's funny, not only are you the third real estate guy that I spoke to be the second guy from Westfield that now lives, are. yeah, the other guy lives in DC, I think now. And uh, yeah, I don't know if Westfield's like the place you start and then you leave. I have no idea. But um, yeah, it's good to, good to connect with you. I know you got yeah three young kids and you're building a family down outside of uh, Nashville, you said, right? Correct. And Correct. I'm excited to, you know, to share and hear, hear your story. Maybe you want to go back uh, where you grew up. You're back. Well, we knew you, well, you lived in Westfield. I don't know if this is where you grew up. And then um, we could talk about how you got into real estate and the things and then some advice for people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and that did impact. Grew up, grew up in Westfield. So there you go. You went great, to Westfield High School and everything? Went to Westfield High School, grew okay. up there uh, all my life. Uh, ended up moving into New York City for 12 or 13 years. Uh, tremendous to be there as well. Um, after that, I moved back out to Westfield, right? So it's been, it's been a great spot, a great part part of me and, and my upbringing. So it was really fun to be. Um, a couple of years ago, my wife, uh, my wife actually grew up in Hawaii. Uh, somehow we met in New York City and again, found our way back out to Westfield. So it was a really awesome spot. Uh, we just decided that we wanted to just change things up, right? As yeah. things happen, right? And so we were looking at different markets, uh, one being Nashville, the other two being Phoenix and the other one being uh, being Denver. And yeah. just we Nashville's had been to, yeah. And you know, and I don't think, Jason, it's Westfield. I think it's the Northeast. People want to get out of the hustle and bustle of, you know, stuffing I've always modeled that, you know, what's the worst that happens there? We we move back to New Jersey, right? And so there's always yeah. that part here. But we were looking at those options and what really stood out is, you know, Nashville, uh, we have properties here. A lot of our properties are basically through um, really the highway that runs up and down between Georgia, uh, of course, Tennessee and Kentucky, right? So we've invested a lot in Louisville, invested a lot in Atlanta, and then also okay. now in Nashville. So was that move before out, you moved there? Before we had moved, oh, right? Okay. And so we were thinking about Denver and Phoenix. And cool markets. However, one of the drivers was like, okay, we're closer to Hawaii, but it wasn't like we can get in a car and drive. To <laughs> right. right. Yeah, so, exactly. so, but then we're investing a thousand miles away from when we were in New Jersey to our markets. So here we are. Now we jumped to Phoenix or Denver and now we're investing a thousand miles away the other side. Right. So we were kind of taking our part. So we had a bunch of friends down here. Um, I had uh, brought a 93 unit apartment community in a town called Murfreesboro, Tennessee, uh, about a year prior, maybe eight months prior to deciding we were going to move. Now, is that and because you had friends down there and you had connections or you had searched out of the market? What brought you to to the Tennessee uh, real estate. Yeah, it, it was one that we had assets here. And right. Murfreesboro itself, you know, I had friends in the area, I had some friends up in a, you know, a town called Mount Juliet, another one called Spring Hill, and of course, Nashville, um, we were investing down here. So we said, logically, let's, let's move down here. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure out our room. So we came down here, it's been a great transition, been a lot of fun. And it's opened up for us to continue to really build our portfolio here. But it really helped us it, we we are very good at making relationships, but again, if you're you know, power zoom's great, but if you're right. on the phone or you're you're you're, you're modeling from, it, you can't get that face to face. So it's been nice here because a lot of the brokers or management companies or, or partners that we work with, we can now have face to face. Funny enough, you know, our our apartment community that I have in town, it's actually probably about a thousand feet from uh from my office now. I I drive by the least. 
right? Because I have a great team in place and everything else. And so proximity does not always have to be in the multifamily space, but what allowed us to get into this is that we found early on when, uh, you know, I was in New York City, I opened a, and sold a brewery, opened a restaurant there. I was in the bar world. That's how Peely and I met. We came in to New Jersey uh, and really uh, helped dad. My dad has a um, heavy construction business that that lives and moves houses. So we moved out to New Jersey 2012 back to Westfield because Hurricane Sandy had just happened and his business just exploded. Yeah, because right? they all have to lift their houses up. Correct. So yeah. worked out, went out and helped dad. It was a lot of fun. You know, we did a couple thousand projects. However, we, we always knew that we wanted to find a way that we can control our day, control our outcome, control where we want to go. And as you can imagine, having three young kids, you have kids that are now, you know, growing and grown is that yeah. it moves fast. And if the day is driving you, you, you really can't dictate your next step, right? Because you're going on a service business. So everything I was in with the bar world, the restaurant world, and not construction world is yeah, you have to like do nights. what you continue to right. do, right? And so that it was a short-lived point. I never wanted to fully be in that business, but it was really awesome to help dad because this was what... We, he wanted. Throughout that, it was really fun to see the success there, but we started to transition to real estate because we were finding that, again, we were in the service business. And we did okay. what we thought was logical. We started flipping houses. Um, Keely, my wife at the time, she was pregnant, was getting her real estate license. And we found that we were just adding activity, right? Because you're doing all these active things. And the, the right. thing was we were having good success. However, we were the bottleneck because we're so busy with the construction world, so busy with the flipping world. We're just adding and stacking all these busy things that we're putting ourselves in position that we have to do, right? So the evolution of the multifamily is Peely met a uh, person at a meetup who was investing out of state and they were just doing single family. But we, we looked at that and said, that sounds very interesting. So really dove in on that model and we ended up buying uh, some duplexes, some triplexes. So these were single family or two family homes. Just weren't Correct. And so we did that. We started doing that in Indiana. Right. And okay. what we figured out pretty quickly is that, well, we no longer could, could it's a thousand miles away. So we can't go out there and do, we can't do it ourselves. Right. So we had to make sure the teams were solidified. So we did that. Lo and behold, we started getting checks in the mail. Right. And it was that first experience that we were able to get back from the, the management side, the structure side to, to put uh, processes in place to allow the process itself to carry forward in the project where mm -hmm. I wasn't or Peely wasn't becoming the bottleneck because we were putting too much on our plate. And that was great. That was really cool, but really learned very quickly that it wasn't going to be scalable to a to an impact, right? Enough of an impact to get us to the destination of setting our day and setting our time. So came upon large multifamily investing, and that was that. Aha you mean moment. because they because that was so far away, or if logistically one of the great things yeah. about multifamily is that you have the ability to maximize on your economies of scale, right? So if I'm buying a hundred unit, I can buy a hundred unit building or I can buy 50 duplexes. 50 right. duplexes could be a logistical nightmare, right? Because right. you have to have people running all around town. Right. You get a super to live in the building. Correct. And so, yeah, right. Correct. And so for the large apartment building, we can treat it like a business where I have a full-time leasing person afforded by the property, a full-time maintenance person, so a full team. So it goes less from a mom and pop shop when you're into the smaller properties to a business that you can go in there and maximize. And what I found in real estate or in the uh, going back to the restaurant days is that I had a restaurant that was 12 seats and I had one that was a couple hundred, right? They each have dinner that's only two hours. right? And so I can only turn people so many times in a 12-seat restaurant. But I had ultimate upside potential on a larger restaurant because I could do so many things that could push the needle 
to maximize on the experience, right? And so that actually helped me drive back into the multifamily space that we saw that the little properties were doing good, but it wasn't going to be able to make that big leverage to the change of our lifestyle. So we sold those off, went all into large multifamily. And uh, from the year we sold them off in 2016, the next year we brought our first building was a 94 unit, and that was in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh-huh. And that was the first of about 20 acquisitions now, about 2,000 units in, in multifamily real estate uh, across five markets, uh, mainly in the Southeast. Okay. And now you, uh, and I've spoken to guys that, you know, flip and buy and do different things. Some of them buy mortgages, they hold paper, they don't want to own buildings. Some of them are in uh, like flex space, you know, uh, industrial space. Some of them are commercial only. So a lot of guys don't like residential real estate. What what attracts you to, you know, dealing with it? Is that a better than a fair term? Well, part of it is that I know my space. So although I own these properties, I hire third-party management that does the day-to-day. So I create the plan. I find the, I find the deal. I put together the opportunity. I make sure I align to have team members on our team that can handle the day-to-day, handle the leasing, handle the collections, handle the maintenance orders. That's not my foray. I go there to find the opportunity, maximizing what the business plan can be on that opportunity, and then find team members that can help us implement those business plans. Right. So, so you're out of here at this point. Yeah, you're not plumbing out a toilet and the building Correct. catches on fire. Maybe you got to go. But Correct. Big major That's, stuff just keeps operating because you have the people in place. Correct. And so I, I focus on the bigger picture to make sure the plan can be achievable by putting the right team members in place and then moderate the plan as we go forward to adjust accordingly to whether it be the property itself into the market dynamics. And that served us very well because it allows me to maximize my space because I talk about a property that's about a thousand feet away and a you know, 90 plus unit. You know, I don't, I have a management company here in town that runs that property. Yeah. I oversee the logistics of what needs to be done to provide the most value, not only to the property, but also to our investors. Is the management company your company? It's company not my company. Up? No, you no. Use yeah, I use, it's, uh, we'll call it sub, but they're, they're, they're one of our external partners, right? So okay. th- that would be a part. Um, I have one here in Atlanta and I have one in Louisville. I have one here uh, in Nashville, right? So we use select partners in different markets where that's their space because right. you, you treat the the investment space and the, and the management space. They're basically two different businesses, right? So the investment space, we're looking for that opportunity where we can increase the value of the building, whether it's on the property side or the management side, right? And then we put in professional partners that can accomplish that mission while we have this create better returns or in a better place to live for the investors and also for the tenants over the course of about five years. Now, the management company is dealing with uh, evictions because with 2,000 units, you always have to have some tenants that are in trouble. You know, there's you look at your tenant base and that's where we go into. And a lot of times we'll come into these properties that just haven't been managed correctly, whether it's just a poor management company or it's been handled by the mom and pop owner, right? And so maybe they've had handshake agreements, or they they haven't qualified their tenant base there. And we look to provide a better experience because no matter, you know, we predominantly invest in, we'll say B and C assets. And so we, okay. we a yeah. lot of workforce housing, right? right? And just because they they may not be the richest person out there, they still want a good place to live. So yeah, if you can course. go in there That's and- the clean, last thing they're going to default on. Correct. Yeah. And so if you can provide a great experience, you can find that tenants themselves will love to stay there and will be willing to pay more rent because you've now made this a, a safe, affordable place to live, even if you've now increased the rent on them because they see that you're making changes that are going to benefit to them in their lifestyle, right? And so yeah. where 
multifamily can be the most competitive, right? And really one of the best asset classes is that you have the opportunity to get cash flow, right? Your tenants pay the rent, right? right. Rent, of course, covers your expenses and your mortgage, which provides cash flow. You have the appreciation, which can serve to the market, but how we also make improvements to the building, that that will also improve on the value of the building based on the select improvements we make. We have the depreciation benefits, tax advantage uh, advantages. We have the diversification that you can get across you know, having 100 plus tenants that can pay down your mortgage, right? right. Now, also, the other point, it now comes down to diversification across market. Right. And so when you look at this across other investment classes, even other real estate classes, the reason it's continued to be the darling is that we have, we have a couple of things happening. One, the simple thing to say is that everybody needs a place to live. Right. That's easy to say. Yeah. However, when you look at the downward pressure on where inflation has gone, where the rise up in, of course, prices have gone, the inability for people to be able to qualify for the mortgage or, and a mortgage to a house and just the lack of housing, that leads a lot of people into multifamily. We need yeah. about 16 million units uh, this decade. We're on pace to build about 11 million. We haven't met the needed demand since 2007, right? So we're oh, continuing gosh, at a lapse here. That. That's yeah, nationwide? So nationwide, across the nation. Now, of course, you're going to need a bigger infiltration like markets, but yeah. you can't build enough. You can't build quick enough. And now things cost more to build. Right. And labor's harder to come by. Supply chain is disrupted. So it's going to be slower for that housing to come on board. So it maximizes the replacement cost for your existing product. And it also puts upward pressure on the rents, where in terms of the rents continue to increase too, you just have to look at your tenant base to make sure that you can keep on par where you have some markets like the Southeast on average of, I think it was, we, we had uh, pretty much every major city tracked by, by um, some like the CBRE, which does a, a big report of like the 20 they tracked. I think um, all 20 of them were over 10% yeah. with about three of them over 20% rent growth in the last right. quarter. Right. right. And you just have to track that they, that's going to track with price inflation and wage inflation, right? Because just because you can increase the rent, you want to make sure your tenants have a moderate success to be able to afford that rent. Because yeah, it's you more if they leave, then you got to market the place, get it cleaned up, get a new person in there. You lose two months of rent, you're way behind. Yeah. It serves a point that you you always want to be at some point of, of having vacancy. So like a 95% occupancy rate would be perfect, right? Because if you're at 100%, it means you're too low on your rents, right? So you're always going to have some turnover. But is, if you make select improvements throughout the process here, and you can quote unquote harden the units in the beginning, it makes your initial turn a bigger impact to cost. But it also it also produces the biggest upside in your income, right? Because you may have a two or three hundred dollar rent bump on your immediate, and then each time going forward, when you do have a tenant leaves, now the unit doesn't need such a substantial impact to the renovation, and you may get fifty dollars on the increase there, but you may only be spending a couple hundred to go in there and, and sweep and paint. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the um, the multifamily and who you have investing, but I was wondering what what your background is like. How did you learn real estate? I mean, you, you were working with your dad's construction company, but that didn't necessarily teach you about the investing side of it and you know, man, choosing a building and how it works. And sure. Where did all that come from? You know, I, I've always been open-minded to learn and see how others are doing it. And one of the best things about real estate is that th there's, there's nothing new. It's all been done and all been done before. So as we continue to move from one space to the next, it was constantly, who is doing this and who is doing this successfully, right? And you use that advantage to yourself to see the model that they're working with. Why is that model working? 
how can we use that model to as part of our organization, as part of our company to help us transcend and then ask questions, right? So you surround yourself with good people in the space and it really helps you carry forward to learn. And I can pull a lot of things, like everything from sales when opening businesses to construction when apart, it serves a purpose. And so if I was ever to delete this, uh, the, the first pieces of the puzzle, right? I, could I have skipped over, you know, flipping and, and restaurants and all that? Most likely. However, all of those have added to our success here because it's given me life experiences about how to push forward in business and how to understand not only how to work with people, but how to look at the investment side itself in a way that can be beneficial, not only to us, but also to the investors we have invested alongside of us. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets, and be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners. Care for your health, care for the planet, and look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. All right. So let's talk about how you, how, how does one go about like analyzing a property? How, if you're looking at a building, well, let's say you're looking to invest, you're not the primary guy, but you're looking to put some money into a deal. So maybe it's a hundred units. What kind of things should you be looking for? To figure out if it's good for you or it's not good for you. you want to look yeah. at the the Great question. First, you want to look at what's important to you, right? Not the deal first, because it, it has to be important to you. So are you looking for cash flow today? Is this money you have as investable income? Is this money that that you are looking for a bigger return on, on potential in the back end? It may have limited cash flow, right? So or am I looking for tax advantages? So answering questions of why you are looking to invest this money today is going to help you serve that conversation when you go to seek these investments and say, you know, myself, and I put out an offering to you, part of that question is you want to understand me, 
right? You're investing with me. So you want to understand the operator or the, or the team, right? That's going to run this because these are not typically a liquid, you know, they're not typically liquid investments. You may have your money in for maybe three to seven years. So you understand who you're investing with. Do you like them? Do you understand their business plan? Do you understand the talk track? Do you understand how the investor process will work? Do you understand how communication will work, right? You want to be clear on who you're investing with. That's first yeah. for anything, okay. because you can have a great operator turn a moderate deal into a huge success, and you can have a poor operator turn a you know fantastic deal into it into a poorly run operation. Understand who it is, who is that team member. Next would be the investment. Where is this? Why do I like it? Why are they picking this market, right? So why am I investing in Nashville, Tennessee? Or why am I investing in Murfreesboro, Tennessee? Why do I choose that market? Who are the supporting team members here? that are now going to help us make sure that this is the most successful plan. What is the returns that will be offered to me as the investor? And how will I see those returns? How will distributions work? But it does start down one with you, right? So when, when we have investors, we do a lot of investor calls weekly. And it's, it's less about me for start, but I want to make sure that I can answer any questions they have, but learn more about them. Learn more about what they're looking for, what they're for, because I may not be the rest, best person for them, right? If they have five thousand dollars that they may need may need for you know rent in two months, right? I don't sure. want them looking to invest with us right now. They have different different parts. So we want to make sure that they're the right investor. Also, the same part that our investments can benefit them, and then we can talk more to the investment space and to ourselves as as an operator and operations team to see so they can learn more about the experience working with Urusi Holdings. Now, are you are all your deals are basically syndicated for the lack of a better term? You're bringing in accredited investors, not just friends and family, right? You're bringing in accredited it's, investors, it's a reg D filing, the whole thing. We do reg D filings. About 80% of our opportunities have all been syndications. The other 20 have either been us or partners, just a, us, us or just one of the partners where we just buy the opportunities ourselves. Uh, but we do do reg D filings, typically a 506C that does just offer to accredited investors. But sure. you know, we grew up in uh, New York, New Jersey, right? So we had a lot of friends and family. That were our initial investors, and you know, if someone can make one hundred fifty thousand and not be deemed accredited, but still have the bandwidth all to understand how to invest. And so, we did do some five or six B opportunities. We still do from time to time. That's just open to our general network, our right. our, our rolodex of people who are already in our bandwidth. And and they're run like a fund, right? I mean, they're a corporation. People own shares in the company. Is that how you do it, or are they similar? The fund model is more. It can be run in a couple model, a couple parts. But the fund is that the, uh, investors would invest into a pool, and that pool would be allocated to a number of assets through right. the syndication model. It's a single asset LLC that's set up for the project, where those investors know the project they're investing into, and on that front, there. No, they can make a choice on the actual asset themselves. But it is like that. They will get shares or units, right, as part right. of ownership. So they will have equity ownership in the deal. They will not be a debt partner on the deal. And they're like limited partners. They're like special member right. unit holders. They don't vote. They don't get involved. In Correct. Yeah, it's right. typically Class A and Class B members, right? And we'll serve as the it? Class okay. B members who, who will be the managing the managing members. We will have all the voting rights, but we'll also do all the signing, right? We will be the guarantee on the loan. Right. We will course. be signing the general partner, basically. Correct. Yes. Correct. And so that limited partner themselves, uh, their sole investment or tied to that will be their investment, right? So, this, so if they invest twenty five dollars or $50,000, that's going to be their tie as a limited partner to the deal is that $50,000. But that will right. also designate how their ownership is broken out. And are most of these projects funded with debt as well, or are they all cash? No, we. so the opportunity to buy in cash 
although could be beneficial in some cases, typically because of the cost of capital, partnering projects with debt where you can put on a good debt structure for the project will provide the most beneficial outcome for all parties because the cost for equity will typically cost uh, an extreme, especially even now, um, right, more right. than the cost of debt. Yeah, so we typically partner this with, with leverage on the property, 65 to 72%, and the other part will come from equity. Yeah, because if you raise $10 million and you're buying $10 million buildings, you buy three of them. Correct. That's the great part about real estate that, you know, in most lights, like if you buy, you know, a million dollars of stock, you got to pay a million dollars, you know, but if you buy, you know, you have a million dollars, you might be able to get a $3 million building, right? Right. So your money can go a lot farther by the power of leverage. Right. And the equity increase, if you get a 10% increase, it's not on the equity that you put in, it's on the the building. It's exactly. How many people are in your organization now? Uh, right now, our internal, we have yeah. five people. We have five, five people as part of our team. Five employees, yep. And then my wife. Okay. And what do the employees do? Are they... Underwriter, okay. asset management, office coordinator, market coordinator, uh, acquisitions. And then uh, my wife is uh, investor education, investor relations. Got it. But because you're, you're, because you're contracting out the management, you just really need to touch base with the management company. We work from everything from the brokers, uh, the property managers. We will handle on some construction on projects, noting what it is. Typically, we'll, we'll roll in if there's heavy things anyway from parking lots to roofs. We'll, we'll quote that out or extreme parts uh, of, of many build outs, right. uh, some, some turns. Typically, things that aren't handled by the management company, we will serve. And sometimes things that are handled by the management company, we'll make sure we're quoting it out properly to make sure we're getting the price that's right for the property. When does it make sense to, you know, bring some of that stuff in-house, to bring in an in-house management company that's dealing with managers at different properties versus having well, because I assume, right, you're not dealing with one national management company, they got boots on the ground everywhere. You got somebody sure. in Texas, you got somebody in Tennessee, you got somebody in you mentioned Indiana, whatever. When does that start to make sense? Does it? It does on larger options. So the more institution you want to become, the more important it is to have the management in-house. The, the bigger part for the process with management is it is a whole separate business that you are starting. And it can be very area-specific. Most management companies you will find are very area-specific. So like our group here is just in Tennessee. They're not in different states. Our group in, uh, in Atlanta, just in Atlanta, right? So they're, they're very area-specific. And it gives them the upside potential that they're very honed in to what that market warrants and the consistency, the state regulations, everything that's going to serve that market and serve the investors who use them in the best light. So if you're going to do be in a market, right? So our, our advantage is that you know we're at 2,000 units now. Our goal is at 5,000 units, we would look to transition to management. However, that's going to give us oh, a bigger okay, infrastructure. Correct. And then that would give us a bigger infrastructure, but we do want to make sure that we're going to serve our properties in the best light because we wouldn't want to have uh, be the management company if we're in 50 markets. We won't be. We're very honed in to be in a few select markets, but you have to be very market-specific if you're going to take that on. So more of a regional aspect than it would be a nationwide aspect. Okay. I, I find that um, you know the bigger real estate investors, the guys that do it as a, for a living, which is what you're doing you know, for, your, for your business. You have a company. You have a lot of units. You have a lot of things going on. There's a lot of analytics involved. Do you, did you at the beginning, like put together a business plan? I mean, I'm sure you do strategic planning now because you just said you're, 
looking, yeah. okay, we get to 5,000 units. This is our goal to do it by this time and whatever. Do you do that on an ongoing basis? Because that's something I just was interviewed about and I find is lacking with small business owners is their failure to do any of that ongoing strategic planning. They just kind of deal with every fire as it, you know, as it flies through the door. So that's a, that's a great question. Funny enough, it's as you can imagine, right? I, I've actually done a business plan. I did a business plan for our brewery, for restaurants. I've done it now yeah. um, for everything going forward. And even when we started on multifamily for where we wanted to go. And now the, the goal with the business plan is that it's not the Bible. It's the point of the, no, of the conversation that you look time. at it exactly right. as a starting point. However, you have to know and you have to understand what's happening, right? Because there's a, there's a point of a plan implementation of the plan and then understanding if the plan is not working to plan right that right. you need to to, to pivot and right and that's plan, you have no idea that it's not working right <clears throat> yeah and that's where a lot of these calls so every every week we have calls with all of our management companies right and we don't just say hey we'll we'll, we'll follow up in a couple months every week right collections leasing, construction, open items. All of those are targeted on all the calls. Why is that? Because these are big ships. You can do massive things, produce uh, great returns. But if you let it get off course, right, with a bigger ship like this, it's much harder to get on and course. And you get a collection longer, problem or whatever, right? Correct. Is and so what's very important is to have the plan. So of course, we have the business plan, right? Talk about getting the 5,000 units, right? We have now the next plan here, which is the property plan, right? Our investor plan. But even for that, we're continuing to look to improve our system and operations, even with bringing people on, right? The first huh? 94 unit, it was just my wife and myself and investors, right? We did that for a couple of reasons. Um, but in that same front, as you continue to grow, if I'm here on the podcast, I can't be underwriting deals. I can't right. be, if I'm not underwriting deals, I can't be working with property management. If I'm working with property management, I can't talk, talk into investors. Right, of course. So there, I become, again, the gap. So as we've grown, we've brought more people in that can help sit in their best seat to help the business forward so we can all benefit from what's happening here. Right. So you can overall drive the growth of the business and focus on the bigger stuff. Again. Correct. People don't understand that. Like Jeff Bezos might have swept the floor for a little while, but yeah. he doesn't really get involved in any of this stuff. Correct. You what are, um, if you looked as a business owner or, I mean, you can do it from a standpoint of a real estate investor, but also as an entrepreneur along the way, do you remember couple of mistakes, a couple of things you wish you did differently in hindsight that you learned from? You're always learning. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you can think of anything from a learning experience here, right? So it could be anything that, <clears throat> honestly, I, I talked to this and this, this may serve in a different light is that I, I was probably too conservative and cautious in our initial periods. And I missed okay. out on some great buying opportunities where we would have been a lot further along, but I did it from a cautious state as a learning state. Right. But there's a lot of opportunities, especially with the ramp up in the market here, where I had potential to take on more opportunities. But I, I this slow growth it where it served a purpose. But that now, of course, we, we could have been further along from where we were. Right. So there's two parts. One, it could have been that. Two, it could have brought in team earlier on. Right. So we started hiring later as we continue to grow. But of course, that was another sign of our growth is because we were so busy with our initial projects that if I brought on team that could have helped us spread out the spread out the need of, of what needed to be done, we could have then looked at more opportunities, understood this was the best case forward. Right. right. So the, those are some of the best parts is that slow does not mean a slow there's a the Jocko Will thing. Right? Yeah, the Jocko the Jocko Will thing, go slow to go fast serves a purpose. But right. if you know the plan and process, you're just going slow to go slow, that's not always the best case forward. 
any mistakes, mistakes in hiring, mistakes in picking an asset? Um, we've been very, we've been very thorough on our asset selections and very market oriented. So we, we've been very dialed in on there. We've made hiring mistakes before. And one of the bigger hiring mistakes is, is okay to make the mistake, but don't hold too long. Right. Yeah, like, people do that's, that. that's, that's where I, right. I fail on that part. Um, and in terms of management, same, the, the same thing there is that you can start a relationship and it, it, my dad used to say like, you hire a plumber by the fourth job, they'll go bad. Right. And so you like, which, which can be anything, but management companies too, they can start out great. You know, I had one, um, we had three great deals with them. And then the fourth one, they ended up having some internal disputes. The two owners had a dispute and it went sour and it started to affect their business. And so we had a transition. Right. And so sure that happens. Right. Right, So looking at it where you are today does not mean that the same competitive approach will continue to be beneficial down the, down the line. But no buildings you had to dump. It turned out to be. No, we've actually we've had nine. We'll be eleven to have two more of a, of the twenty assets we've acquired. We've gone full cycle, beating expectations. Oh, okay. You mean projections, like you projected Correct. cap rates and this and that, and you're you're ahead of those. Correct. Correct. Right. So you know, there's there's always tomorrow, right? Right. But we continue to look at opportunities that are going to serve us, and we also we stay in a lane where. We're not one day buying X, the other day buying Y. We're not buying right. you know 1940s asset, then a 2000 asset, then an asset in uh, you know Wyoming, then an asset here. We we buy in a select area for a yeah. certain reason because right. it allows us to understand the market better and have better systems in place. Yeah, the guys I know in your business that are successful do that. They don't get out of their lane. Correct. You know, they buy distressed properties, they buy buildings, they buy, you know, warehouses, whatever it happens to be, and they don't do it. You can't do it all over the country because even if you have relationships with people, like you said, if they're too out of your area, too far away, you don't have your finger on the pulse and you don't know when things are going wrong no. with their company and their Like a, a simple example, right? Like yeah. I, I would say like, okay, sure. Like how do you know if it's a good deal or a bad deal, right? I could give you a, a deal in a Memphis that's $8,000 a unit or one that's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a unit. What's the better deal, right? You would you think the eight thousand enough but, information to evaluate, exactly. but it could be a war zone. But you think it's a great idea for eight thousand, right. but it may be the worst idea because it's worth one, you know, or right. zero, right? Or maybe so, it's not a great idea, but that's the only capital you have, so you can't yeah, do the one hundred and fifty thousand. Exactly, and the same part you you don't know. You could be on the wrong side of the street and be in a different school zone, and that school zone impacts your rents, right? You could be in an area where you're not understanding the, the tenant laws, right? So, right, the, the further you're out the less information you have to be able to make the best decisions for you and your investment and your investors. Yeah. No, you can find out that uh, the town has rent control and you, you're planning on raising the rents yeah. over time. You can't do it. And we uh, we have about, on. we have a mastermind for, uh, called seven figure multifamily. We have about 75 businesses in there. And that's always the first conversation is that you cannot invest in 20 markets. You, you let's start with one at right. the most two and identify those markets. Worst thing that happens, you find out that market is not right for you, but you learned all the steps to learn how to identify a Go market. to another market. Correct. Yeah, but you can't be an expert in 27 markets. So. No. And the best thing you can do is, is learn the process. Because if you're, if you're trying to learn across 10 markets, where well, you're trying to make relationships with brokers, learn how to underwrite properties, learn yeah. the market itself, put together teams, and you're trying to do this in all these markets, what if you could just learn to do it in one market? And if right. you find that it's not the best market for you, worst thing to happen is you move to another market and now you're going to do it five times quicker because you already know how to do the process. 
Right. Well, it's like niching down in any business, right? A lot of people think that if you you yeah. know you want to be something to everybody, but it really hurts you if you're niching down and very specific about who you do business with and what you sell to what markets, you'll actually yeah. be more productive and the asset will perform better and you'll be better at what you do and you'll produce a better product to the tenant and they'll be happier and tell their friends and you know the, the whole thing. The whole thing. Most businesses start in one lane. And then as they grow and they get their process in place, maybe they expand to other parts. But one that start out to try and get 20 revenue streams at the, at, in the beginning, you yeah, ultimately yeah. fail because you don't know where you're making your money. Because maybe right. of those, you have uh, 16 of them are, are really losses. And the other four are providing benefactors to you. Support right? Correct. Right, right. Well, you see, it's very common on the TV shows where the, you know, uh, what's the one on CNB? Marcus Lemonis, where he comes in oh, yeah. and yeah. he's helping him with business and four of the stores are not performing and one of the stores is really holding the whole thing up. The people are making money, but they're slowly going out of business. Correct. I think that's correct. What, um, I mean, you seem to have your finger on the pulse pretty much of certain markets that you work in. Well, what do you see from an economic standpoint happening, you know, over the next three to five to 10 years in terms of, uh, I mean, you mentioned a little bit before, right? What's going on with housing and yeah. and, and rents and so forth. But what, what are you anticipating? Because I'm sure it's affecting your decision-making and your planning. You know, the debt markets are interesting right now because lenders are very uncomfortable because there's not really a solidified path to just keep saying, we're going to do something until inflation comes down, right? That's, that's what we keep hearing out there. And so right. same thing happened during COVID. And what you find is that everybody is uneasy until uneasy becomes the norm, right? And so right. what lenders do is we typically see an overreaction until it becomes right. commonplace that this is a, an uncertainty that we're in, and then they start coming back to the table. So right now we're seeing a lot of that, a lot of different changes in the loan environment because okay. of just so many different changes in the market. That will normalize and will go through. That However, makes capital more difficult to get and more cost, more costly. It's it, it less um, appealing loan options, right? Right. However, we are Terms still in an environment, rate, right? right, where where loans today are, you know, like they're about the same rates of when I started, right? So, so we're saying loan rates have gone up. However, right, they because they went down well. so far, right? Correct. Right. Correct. And so, understand that. To understand that, like, what happens in the news does not affect everybody the same, right? Right. Like, no, so not like at all. And and even market to market, right? Like, if you tell me the stock market drop, you know, Dow drops a thousand point, like my grandma doesn't know that has no impact to her, right? She has no, no idea. Right. And so to think that it's treated the same, markets will be will react differently and at different stages and at different times. Right. So what's happening here, the, the closer you are to a primary market that has jobs, job drivers, population growth, right, diversity, you're going to have a longer stay than in markets that are more secondary and tertiary. Right. They're going to be more impacted. Right. You're going to see more things um, freeze up and tie up. And especially with the um it rise in rates and a rise in the lending rate, you're going to see business expansion slow down, right? At right, least for right. the at least for the term, right? And so that that hits the pockets of people the further they get out from from an environment where there's a lot of economic activity. So you want to really again get back to your market to understand what's the drivers here, right? Louisville is a good market, for instance, because Louisville. You know, it's moderate population growth, moderate job growth. However, job diversity, it's got GE, UPS, FedEx, Churchill Downs, Humana, um, the Yum Center, right? Uh, University of Louisville, right? Uh, the Amazon facilities they have there. It's like, there's so many different drivers there that there's so many different ways for that market to continue to excel because there's so many different pieces of the puzzle. There's so many jobs. There's not one job. There's not one job that if its impact is going to infect right. the entire economy. It's diverse. Correct. Yeah, I also think a lot of the jobs have kind of spread out. We used to have most people living around major cities, but now with remote work, 
unless you're, you know, unless you're a bus driver or you, you're yeah. somebody has to be on the job, you can live in Nashville and work in the service industry for other companies that are Correct. in Nashville. Correct. Correct. So yeah. Changed all that kind of stuff. Okay. So um, tell me, we've been talking for about 45 minutes. So tell me how people can, because you mentioned you do some masterminds and you're doing some stuff. Are you running masterminds and training people or is this stuff you're involved with personally? Uh, no, this is our mastermind. So uh, URC okay. Holdings are a company, seven-figure multifamily is the mastermind. We started with uh, two other friends of ours um, here in the market um, who have a very successful flipping mastermind as well. Uh, we have about 75 members, um, businesses, so it's more members than that, who are in the mastermind. And it's been great. We honestly teach them exactly what we did. This is where we were. This is where we wanted to be. And this is how we got there, right? And right. it's helping them understand to identify what they want, what they're looking for, how to identify investments, make the best decisions for that investment and carry forward to purchase assets. So it's for guys that are already in the business or people that want to get into real estate? We have every mix of this on right now. We have people that are either looking to change course, right? Maybe they're a pharmacist or they've you know worked in a blue car space. We have a lot of flippers who are now transitioning to other points. We have apartment owners who have bought small properties but are trying to understand how to, how to buy bigger properties and entrepreneurs right. looking for another stage in their life, right? right. So we have a very diverse group. Uh, that's really been awesome to see. And uh, we've had the mastermind for about a year and a half now, and it's been tremendous. We have a ton of people just taking action, closing deals, and just understanding it. Because it does start as a mind frame, right? It's a mindset piece at first is that, I, I, how can I buy that big building or just, or just the, the doubt of what the prospect is. But the more you can break down the pieces of a process to show steps and stop focusing on the, the bigger goal that they they can't, ultimately imagine right now, the more it can become achievable because understand it's a step, right? You need to take a step today to get to a step tomorrow. And right. if you do those steps, have the accountability that's built here within the group to be able to continue forward, you have massive success. Yeah. And if you learn from somebody who's done it, it's not so daunting. You look and say, how oh, I can never own that building, but you got it. It's just yeah. a question of steps. Now, did you say you, you know Mike Simmons? I do know Mike Simmons. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mike is actually that's not uh, how we met, but ironically. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Bill Allen, who uh is, through my Mike Simmons, Bill Allen is our partner at Seven Figure Multifamily. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, I think I met Mike on a podcasting event, I think, at one point. And nice. he was on the show and then he introduced me to Tyler Jensen, right? Tyler yep. does Utah Homes, he does uh, some crazy flipping stuff. Um, it's He's like a whole community there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's the best way for people to interact with you if they want to find you and sure. learn from you? So I'm Jason Yerusi across all social platforms, but to come learn more about the company, yerusiholdings.com, Y-A-R-U-S-I holdings.com. You learn everything we'll about us. We'll put the links in the show notes. Perfect. About, about the platform, you want to see about the mastermind, you can find that link there too. All right. Well, uh, I'd ask you for last advice and comment, but you've given a lot of it. And I appreciate, I appreciate your time. I hope you have a good weekend and uh, let's uh, definitely stay in touch. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moskovich and made to order music. For more information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. 
If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at beinhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinhacker and produced by Beinhacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.